Hey, listen, um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. You can go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles there or turn on your Bibles, however it applies to you, right? Um, while you're doing that, Genesis 32, while you're doing that, let me ask you this. In your, so just think in your body, what marks do you carry? Um, this is the South. Come on. I know that sometimes we get together and we're like battle scars. What do you call it with your kids when they get hurt and they're bleeding? Like we would call it battle scars. And so they would be like, it's the end of the world because my arm is, like, you know, when they get a little scratch and you think they got amputated, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and they'd be crying and we were just like, oh, it's a battle scar. And they'd be like, huh? Oh, you'll get to, you'll get to tell your friends about it. And when they got a little bit older, we'd be like, you can tell girls about it. You might, get, you might get dates out of this, right? Like, you're tough, you're tough. Battle scars. Like, what do you have? Do you have marks on your body that you can point to and go, you have got to hear about this, right? You've got to hear this story. When I first started youth pastoring here in the city, I was at Albemarle First Assembly, and I took our kids on a ski trip, um, snow skiing, y'all. There's a difference between snow skiing and water skiing, right? So we went, we went snow skiing. Um, up in up in the North Carolina mountains, and I'd never been skiing before. How many of you are, are good snow skiers? You're good. Be proud. Raise your hands high. Be proud, y'all. It's not bragging. It's just honest, right? Really? I I mean, oh, uh, I mean, oh, now it's fine too. I'm just saying. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Do, anyway, let's just back up and start over, right? Um, so it was my first ski trip, and we went up, um, I believe we were at ski, at ski Beach. Is that a ski resort in the mountains? It is, isn't it? So we go up there, and, and all day long we go through the line, we get our skis, and we're going through like this long line. We're just ready to get on the slopes. If you've ever been there on like a Saturday, I think we went on um, President's Day weekend, which was, that's how you know it was my first weekend, because like Martin Luther King weekend and President's Day weekend are bad times to go skiing, right? So um, it's crowded. There's teenagers everywhere. Finally got our skis. And as we're going through the line, they gave us our skis, and they said, do you want some poles? And I was like, no. Why would I need poles? Like, you ski on your feet. I don't know why. why. So I was like, no, I don't want to hold on anything more than And all I knew about poles was I've watched the Olympics and so, like, downhill skiers, they had the poles, right? Like, I see them. They're, like, tucked in. They got the poles. But they never use them. I mean, in my mind, right? Like, I, in my mind, I'm thinking they never, I never see them on the ground. They're just, it's just, like, for show. So I was like, nah, I don't need poles. I got in the first lift line and realized why you're supposed to have poles. Because, like, I don't know if this is what you're supposed to use them for, but you can, like, actually stick them in the snow and stop yourself I had my first legitimate accident in standing in the line waiting for the ski lift to, to hit us. And, like, when I went down, like, my leg went that way and this leg went that way. And I took people out. It, it was crazy, like, all because I, I didn't have poles. So it took me the whole day. I'm on the bunny slope the whole day, right, just holding on to that rope, getting tugged up and trying to figure out how to ski. And they told us, we, like, you could snow plow, like, you do your legs like that. That's cute, right? Like, I look like a man, y'all. It's like, trying to, just trying to figure out. I couldn't even do that. And like, You're supposed to, like, do side to side. I couldn't. I just couldn't. But by the end of the day, by the end of the day, I felt like I had finally gotten this thing down. And so I went up the chairlift. I got off, not on a black diamond. I wasn't that confident. But I went down, like, um, what is it? It's like you got the the green square and then it's like the blue circle is that the next one I feel like we're playing twister right now I don't know but whatever the second one up is I went down that one and it was right in view of everybody it was the, like right there like if you were eating 
like drinking hot chocolate, eating in the lodge, and looked up, you would see the perfect view of that hill. And I went down that slope, and I, no poles, I got into a tuck, and I got my skis finally straight. They didn't cross. I finally, I nailed it, y'all. I mean, I was flying. I was flying down, and, I, and as I'm going down, I see this kid in front of me, and he's getting closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, he, what I learned is skiing is not like driving on the interstate. They don't have to get over. But I'm like trying to like, hey, I'm coming. And he's, he's just staying right. And I didn't realize it was my responsibility to get out of his way until it was too late. And I couldn't have moved anyway because I didn't have poles, right? So I had no, I, I couldn't, I just, I hit him. I mean, I hit him hard. And when I hit him, my skis stopped, but I didn't. So I'm going down the hill and, like, and I just flew parallel with the ground until I hit the ground on my shoulder, rolled a few times, came up. And the first thing I remember was when I sat up, I heard cheering and clapping. And people were holding up. They were like, 10, 10. And it was my youth group on the chairlift going up. They had seen the whole thing. And they were like yelling out at me how great it was. And then like one of my youth volunteers who knew how to ski, I, I turned right here. I saw him coming down the mountain. He's like, and he just said, are you okay? Yeah, I just decided to sit down for a little bit on the, on the slope in front of everybody. God and everybody, just take a break, right? I was like, no, I'm not okay. I hurt my shoulder. And he's like, well, let me, let's pray for it. And he went, and Jesus, and he touched my shoulder, y'all. He like put his hand on my, and I was like, stop. It, that's the one that hurts. And he's like, well, okay. So he just starts praying without touching me. And then the ski patrol came, and they brought like this sled that you're supposed to get into. Like, Lay down and take a nap as we take you off to die, right? It's weird. So I was like, I don't want that. I mean, my kids are right up there on the chairlift. I'm not going to get pulled off on a sled, right? So I'm walking off. I, I found out when I got to the hospital that I had suffered a class 5 shoulder separation. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. They're like, well, they're classified 1 to 6. And 6 is when your bone pops out of your skin. Like, Okay, so to be clear, I don't have that, right? And they're like, no, no. But what I did is I severed all the tendons that hold your shoulder bone down, which in the moment was a little freaky, right? Because I, I, my dad's a doctor. I should know this isn't how it works. But in my head, I really believe this. If I walk into the emergency room and see a doctor, I'm going to walk out completely normal. I know. I'm an idiot. I get it, right? So, like, what I learned is you walk in and they look you up and down, they do all this test, and then they go, that's it. And I was like, fix it. Well, we, we can't. What, what do you mean you can't? Like my, and I have a shirt on now so you can't see it, but, like, I actually have my, this is the end of my shoulder bone right here. Like, it, it does that now. And I was like, but, but like, I'm not good looking anymore. <laughs> and they're like, you weren't before, right? Like, but, like, my bone is sticking. It's like, I look weird now. Can you fix that? And they're like, well, I mean, does it hurt? Like, do you, like, when I went back for my final checkup, they're like, does it hurt to move your arm? I was like, no. Well, if you got full range of motion, you're good to go. And I was like, no, I'm not because, like, I'm a freak now. Until I figured out that I can push my bone up and down. So I would start freaking kids out in the grocery store. Hey, kid, check this out. Like, mommy. <laughs> the point is, my body got marked on that ski trip. When I look in the mirror and I see my 
shoulder bone, my collarbone up like that. I'm like, I don't go, when did that happen? No, I know when that happened. It happened at Ski Beach on the last run of the day in front of God and everybody watching me with my students clapping and cheering. It happened there. I'll never forget it. By the way, I led the rest of that trip on drugs. It's crazy, right? Because they gave me drugs at the, at the hospital, and they were awesome. I'm not for drugs. I'm just saying that they were really good. So Genesis chapter 32, listen, here's why I'm telling you all that. Because scars tell a story, and my guess is that if we had time, we could go around, and some of you right now, you're like, oh, you think that's a story? I can top that. See, you're already thinking that way. You're already thinking about scars on your body and the story that goes with it. And we haven't even started talking about scars in the soul and the stories that go with those, right? Let's just talk about scars in the body. And in Genesis chapter 32, we're going to read a story about another man who was touched by God, who has been touched, and there's a moment with God where his, his body changes as a result. God's writing a story in Jacob's life. I want us to see what we can learn from it. So Genesis chapter 32, I'll start in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. Verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. And he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip. I don't think I would eat that anyway. It just sounds weird. Because of the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Here's some things. Let's see if we can pick out some details here. First of all, wrestling with God. Anybody, was a, anybody here was a wrestler in high school, maybe college? Wrestling's hard. Like, I wrestled one time in my high school career in the ninth grade because they made us. I had to do it for 90 seconds. I think I wrestled for 15 of those 90 seconds. And the other, however much time was left, I just laid on the mat and just laid there. Played dead. Hope they'd leave me alone, right? It's just awful. It's, it's hard. Wrestling is hard. And so here's Jacob, and he's going to wrestle with a man. He's not sure who that man is. He keeps asking for his name. We find out later in the story that that man was God because he said, I, I saw God face to face, and I didn't die. But here's something that jumped out at me right away. He sent his possessions. He sent his family. He sent everything across the river. And it says in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. You know what that says to me? Wrestling is not a team sport. And some of us have never really experienced a touch of God because we've never been alone with God. We've surrounded ourselves. We've insulated ourselves from being touched by God because we have so much stuff. We surround ourselves with people. We surround ourselves with possessions. We surround ourselves, and so we're never actually alone to wrestle with God. But the times in my life when I have wrestled with God have been times when I was alone. 
It's interesting how the Lord's kind of led this service with, 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 with worship, right? When that song was written, it is well with my soul. Guess what that man was? Alone. Wrestling happens when you're alone. I want to encourage you not to fear that. Verse 26 says, the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Listen, Jacob was desperate. So much so that he refused to let go of a man that he's wrestling with. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you were that desperate for God to come through? I think sometimes what we do is we let desperation in life help us. We run to people, don't we? I mean, I'm sure that you've got friends um, on speed text, right? Like you, you're pulling your phone out. You're sending them a text. The minute something goes wrong in your life, we don't necessarily let desperation drive us to God but we let desperation drive us. What I love about Jacob is that he allowed the desperation in his life to fuel his desperation for God. God, if you don't bless me, there's nothing, there's no even point in living. I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Now, I hope you hear what I'm saying to you, right? Because a lot of us want to be touched by God. We just want it to happen now, right? Oh, 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 we're going to have to sing five songs? I'm out. Are you going to preach more than 20 minutes? I'm out. We put a timetable on it, don't we? But Jacob said, I don't care how long it takes. We've been wrestling all night long, and I know it's almost daybreak, and I'm tired, but I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I don't want this to jack up your theology too much, but when is the last time you wrestled God into a corner? I know he's God. Just stay with me. We're reading a story about Jacob who wrestled God into a corner. And he said, I'm not letting you out. And I know God's God. I get all that. Don't let him jack up your theology too much. But he wrestled God into a corner. He said, no, no, God, you're not getting out of here until you bless me. When's the last time your prayer life looked like that? He was desperate. He was desperate for God to do something in his life. Verse 31. The sun rose above him, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob um, we'll get to his name in just a little bit, but Jacob kind of walked into this a little cocky, right? But he walked out of the wrestling match different than he walked into it. He limped away from the wrestling match with God because God had touched his hip. He had been marked by the touch of God. Here's what that means to us. The touch of God changes how we walk. I love that I married a Baptist. And here's why. Because Pentecostal people, and I'm one of them, so is she. What I love about Wendy is that she wouldn't let me get away with Pentecostal laziness. What, here's what I mean by that. She would come to visit, and we'd be in church services, and, like, somebody, you know, somebody would, like, give a message in tongues, right? Um, and that's a gift of the Spirit. Or they would give a prophecy. That's a gift of the Spirit. And if it's, a, if it's a truly Pentecostal church, it's always, like, if there's, like, five seconds of silence, Psalm 46.10 goes out the window. Be still and know that I'm God. And somebody fills that silence with a word, right? <laughs> like, like that, no, they don't, no, 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 Pentecostals don't know how to be quiet. Shh. Just shh. We don't know how to do that. So somebody has to fill it, right? And so... Then the pastor would get up and he'd like say like that was great whatever clap 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 and then they'd move on with the service and one day she looks at me and she's like let me let me see if I got this straight 
Now, that's like God talking, right? And I'm like, yeah, you're getting it. All right, high five. And she's like, so like God is talking to the church. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. And then y'all just like go on with the service? Uh, I feel like I'm going to say yes here, but I don't think that's the right answer. And she's like, so like if, okay, if it's God talking, even if it's weird, even if it's for like tongues, if you believe that that's God talking, shouldn't that change the trajectory of the service? I love that I married a Baptist girl because that checked me, right? Like check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Like that checked me. I was like, wait a second, what are we doing? Because the touch of God changes how we walk. You can't say you've been touched by God and look the same. You're not allowed that option in the gospel. Jacob was touched by God and he limped away. I know people that are like, oh, God, he, he means so much to me. He's touched my life. But they don't look any different. The touch of God changes how we walk. In, in Jacob's life, he walked a little slower, right? He's not signing up for the 100-meter dash anymore because he's got a limp. He walked a little more humbly. He walked a lot differently. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, okay, this is a lot about Jacob, but who is Jacob? So for most of Jacob's adult life, to this point in the story, he's been living, running from things. Right? Because his name, this is not good, y'all. His name means deceiver. You don't want that name, right? I mean, do you, I don't know if you know what your name means. My name means little, but we'll go with humble, right? It means little. So, like, your, our names mean things. And so Jacob's name means deceiver. And so his entire life, he lived up to his name. He stole the birthright from his brother. And I know, like, well, his brother gave it away. Whatever. I mean, Jacob knew what he was doing, right? He deceived his brother out of that blessing. And so for his entire adult life, he's been running from that. Uh, I don't want to see my brother. And the night before he's going to meet his brother for the first time since all that went down, that's where we are in the story. He's wrestling with God because what he's been running from is getting ready to be face-to-face with him. You've got to understand that. He's avoided his brother because he knew what he did to his brother. So he's lived his life walking away from something more than walking towards something. He's walked backward instead of forward. I know he hasn't, like, literally walked backward. I get that. But he's walked his entire life looking back. He has lived in fear instead of in confidence. Listen to this. But the touch of God changes where we walk. What I mean by that is it changes, like, the direction that we're walking. It changes where we walk. It changes um, because it changes our identity. Jacob went from being a deceiver, that's what Jacob means, to being named Israel, which we read in the story means you have struggled with God and overcome, right? So let's shorten that a little bit. He went from being a deceiver to being an overcomer. Identity change. When you get touched by God, it changes who you are. It changes where you walk. Some of us in this room have been more aware of our history than we have our destiny. I'm going to say that again. That's really good. You should probably write that one down. Some of us in the room have lived more aware of our history than our destiny. All of our conversations are about the past. Well, I can't believe they did that to me. 
I can't believe I had to go through that. Our entire identity is wrapped up in our history. But God's calling us to something in the future. He's calling us to a destiny. And what he did when he wrestled with Jacob, when he touched him, is he changed where he was walking. He was no longer walking looking backwards. He was walking looking ahead. He was going towards a destiny. Listen to this. The touch of God is a pivot that positions us to move forward in the peace of who we are more than the regret of who we were. One more time. It's a pivot that positions us to move forward in the peace of who we are more than the regret of who we were. Again, the touch of God changes where we walk. It changes how we walk. It changes where we walk. The direction of our life, the trajectory of our life is different because we were touched by God. We see that in Jacob's life. As a matter of fact, you can read this on your own time. If you read the rest of the story, the next day when he meets his brother for the first time, God cha- he just writes an amazing chapter in that, in that book, in his story. There's reconciliation. They don't kill each other, which parents of siblings, like you got, I mean, parents of, of you got kids, like sometimes when they just get in the same room and don't kill each other, doesn't that feel like a win? Right? Like, they, they, they walked away. Like I see you. I see, you're like, mm-hmm, reading my mail right now. Yeah. Like, it's just, they walked away, like, not dead. Right? So, that's a win. There was reconciliation in that relationship. And this last, this last thing I want you to see, this is key. Um, in this room this morning, by the way, we have people who have returned from mission trips recently. We have people who have returned from youth camp. Youth camp, can I get a woo-woo? Right? We've got people who have been somewhere and experienced the touch of God, and now they're kind of doing their re-entry back into civilization. And that could be tough, right? And if we're honest, this is important to any of us in the room who have experienced the touch of God and returned to be around others who haven't. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been with God and he's done something dramatic in your life, and then you go back home and nobody's changed? <laughs> like there's still trash to be taken out. You still have to make your bed. Wouldn't it be great if, like, God would move in such a way in our lives that our beds would always be made automatically? Or angels would just, angels, instead of attending to us, they would attend to our room, right? Angels, moms, angels would do laundry. Wouldn't that be great? Like, it's revival in my house, y'all. I hadn't done laundry in a year. Angels are doing it for me. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not reality. That's not real life. Real life is we get touched by God, and then we return to be around people who weren't. And we see that in Jacob's life. The temptation is to believe that nothing else has changed. But just look at verse 32. What I want you to see is that God wants to turn your moment into a movement. He wants to turn your moment into a movement. Verse 32 says this. Therefore, to this day. Now, not to this day, but to the day when this was written. You understand that, right? To this day, when, the, when, when this was being written, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Do you see that the touch of God in Jacob's life, the moment that he had with God, affected a generation? It, it changed an entire country's diet. Like there was a list, that, uh, there's a food that was put on the banned list of things to eat for his entire nation because of his moment. What I want you to see is that 
We can shift the course of a nation if we won't just settle for a moment with God. Let God take your moment with him and turn it into a movement for him. The touch of God, it changes how we walk. It changes where we walk. And especially like those of you that are getting back from a moment with God and the temptations to think that nothing else around you has changed, can I just encourage you with this story and from the Bible, which is true. It's not a story, it's an account, it's true. The touch of God also changes how others walk after us. Jacob walked away limping, and he was all by himself. And as far as he knew, nobody else was going to limp. It's just him. What happened with you, Jacob? Uh, just me and God hung out. <laughs> it was awesome. Altar call. We were wrestling at the altar, and then I got touched by in the hip, and now I'm like, it's, it hurts. I'm, I'm walking different. But it's just me and God. You know, it's just a, I had a moment. I had a really, really good moment. Raise your hand if you can relate to having a really good, powerful moment with God, right? I had a moment with God. But, but I believe this. That Jacob, walking differently, consistently, for the rest of his life, that consistency changed an entire nation. And to this day, his moment became their movement. What does God want to do through you? You go to camp. You have a moment or three or five with God. You go on a mission trip. You have a moment. You, you get up one morning and you're having a quiet time, and this time is different. And it's not just because you tried a different flavor of coffee. But the Holy Spirit illuminates verses off that page. Like they're literally screaming out to you. And you have a moment with God. And what we typically do is we journal about it, and we just go, well, that moment's over. But the touch of God should change us. And when it changes us, it changes how we walk and it changes where we walk. It changes our identity. It changes our destiny. And when we walk consistently and differently in front of culture, guess what it starts to do? It can actually change culture. You and I can actually change culture. He marks us in the moment to use us in the movement. Hey, band. That was as subtle as I knew how to make it. Sorry. My body still bears the mark of that ski trip. Like, if you want to see it up close, I'd be happy to show you how I can move my collarbone up and down. But I don't think anybody's going to be like, hey, pastor, I came to church to see your collarbone move, right? Jacob, Israel, he bore in his body the mark of his moment with God. Paul wrote in Galatians, he said, I, I to this day, I bear the marks of Christ in my body. I'm not saying go out and get like scars, you know, so you have stories to tell. But can we just apply this spiritually for a second? How have you been marked by God? And what have you been marked for? Surely we've been marked for more than just telling a good story. God has marked us so that we can walk differently consistently in front of people that he wants to change. Would you bow your head and just think for a moment about your sphere of influence, right? 
So don't think about people that live in Washington, D.C., all the people that we post rants about on Facebook that we'll never meet. Think about people in your world, people that you work with, people that you go to school with, teachers that you listen to, bosses that you listen to, hopefully, family members, your neighbors. In your sphere of influence, let me ask you this question. What could happen if you left a moment with God touched and it so changed the way you live that you were never the same again? If it actually changed things like your routine, if it changed the level of desperation in your life when you cling to God and say, come through or I will die. And the people that you're thinking of right now watched you. What if the touch of God changed us as neighbors? What could happen? I believe this. I believe that you would spark a movement of God in your sphere. Your school could be different. Your workplace could be different. Your neighborhood could be different. Your family could be different. Now, admittedly, keep your eyes closed. I'm thinking about camp because that's where I just was, right? I can either have had a good week at youth camp and Wendy can watch my life go back to the way it was and say, yeah, I guess it was a life-changing move of God for three days. Or my life can be marked by that moment, and it can be different for the rest of my life. And Wendy will have to admit that something happened when Paul was wrestling with God in Somerton, South Carolina, at a place called Bob Cooper Camp. And he's different now and because of that difference I'm being forced to evaluate where I am with God and my consistent lifestyle being different in front of my sphere forces my sphere of influence to recognize who God is you know why why the church doesn't have influence with the culture it's because the culture has been watching us and they don't see a difference but when we are different when we are changed, when the touch of God changes how we walk, they will have to take notice and they will be placed face to face with God and they'll have to make a decision. We don't have any control over that, right? They might decide, ah, I don't want that, but they'll have to make a decision. What we control is, will we walk differently? Will we have been touched by God so that we can walk differently. And the question that I have for you this morning is, how many of you want to be touched by God in a way that would change your life forever? Not just for an hour on a Sunday morning or for a really powerful worship set or until I get done preaching. But you would walk out differently and never go back because of the touch of God. If that's what you want going to ask you to raise your hand. That's what I want. That's what I want, to be touched by God like that.
Would you be willing to stand where you are if you raise your hand? Just stand in the seat where you are. Not actually in the seat. <laughs> you know what I meant? Stand at the seat, right? Lift your hands to the Lord. Can we just sing this chorus? Just have a moment with the Lord right now. Again, these are moments, and they're powerful moments. They're good moments. He's going to begin to touch us. He's going to mark us, and we're going to walk out of here differently because of it. You just worship Him. Tell Him how much you love Him, how good He is. you to pray for them, especially if you're somebody who's had a moment with God recently. This is when we begin to live it out, right? And here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that they would live this out in a way that marks you. Go ahead and find the person that's near you. Just put your hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray for them, that they would live this out in a way that would mark you. Pray for them to be consistent Pray for them to have the strength of the Lord to carry them through the seasons when it feels like, you know, Jacob limped for a long time before they changed their diet. You know he did. But he kept walking differently. And pray that they would be marked by God in such a way that it would change you. That your walk would be different because you've seen them walk differently. We refuse, God, to just have moments with you, personal moments. They're good, but you want to mark us in that moment so that you can use us later in a movement for your kingdom. And so just like Jacob, God, our heart's cry is in desperation, touch me. I will not let you go until you bless me. But God, once you have blessed us, help us to walk differently and consistently in front of the people that we have influence over in front of our world, God, so that they would see, they would not be able to write off what you do because we weren't consistent. God, change us. Change how we walk and change where we're walking to. Change and through us, change the people that walk after us. God, my prayer is that the moments you're doing in our life right now, and there are powerful moments happening in our church right now, I pray that these moments would change generations to come because we walk differently from this place. 
us, God. Mark us, God. We ask. Can we just sing, oh, what a Savior? Just sing that part. Come on, church, let's all stand together and let's just sing this about Jesus. He is the one who marks us. What a Savior we have. You sing it loud, even if you don't have a good voice, man. Just lift your hands and sing this to the Lord. us in such a way that people would ask us why do you look like the way, why do you look the way you do why do you live the way you do why do you walk like that why is your life so much different than mine and that our answer would never be I started going to church I can be part of it it would just be I was touched by God Jesus touched me I cried out in desperation. I was in a place in my life where no one else could help me. And God touched me. And His touch changed me. 
And He didn't just change me to leave me by myself, but now He's crossed my path with yours because my moment is going to become part of a movement. And He wants to do the same in your life. And God, I pray that it would spread like wildfire in our city. God, that people's lives would be touched by your presence and people would be marked by your touch. And this city would never be the same, God. We ask that you would start with us, Lord. Start with us. Touch us. Change us. Send us out of here. Start a movement through us, Lord. We ask in your name, Jesus.